This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fernando. Come on, Kenny, say you it like with it, us. like it, Kenny? No, I'm taking my headphones off. Going home. Fernando. Very depressing. Just there. once. No. Just once, Kenny? No. Come on, sing along with that. Not, not playing well. along. Rosario back. No fun. To the wall, and he nice. caught it. He caught it up <laughs> against the fence. Eddie Rosario with a great catch at the wall. That was beautiful. What was it, Velvet? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, he threw him a strike, and look what happened. Yeah. Rosario hooks one into the corner. Kepler will score another extra base hit for Rosario and a 2-0 Twins lead. Well, I told him to throw a changeup, and he didn't, and he paid. The ball hit to the right side. Grossman has his third hit of the ball game, and this will drive in an insurance run. Three straight hits for Grossman, and Rosario scores. It's five to nothing. You know he stepped up. You know it's um, one of those nights where you walk the leadoff hitter of the game, and you kind of wonder, especially after you put some runs up. But he settled in. You know I, it looked like he, uh, you know, kept his focus. He used all his pitches, all the things that you want. You know I felt so good, especially when I got Bobby Wilson behind the play. He put some fingers, some good fingers. You know the guy's bat being like. Hot. Yes. Bobby Wilson. Bobby Wilson with the magic fingers. fingers. That's the key. Okay, Fernando Mania, you are alive and well for uh, the original Fernando Mania in the early 1980s in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, I think we're approaching that. we got to be approaching (laughs) that here in the Midwest now. Now that Fernando Mania has overtaken St. Louis, one of the great baseball cities in America. Yeah, I think it's going to take. Uh, let's let's put this at five starts. Okay, let's give him five starts before we officially declare it on. Well, it's too bad that this... was a hell of a performance last it night. It was. It's too bad the season's already over and the Twins have already been written off by all of you negatives like Wetmore. You gave them five percent chance. I mean, last night's start would have meant more if they were still a chance that they could, you know, make the playoffs. You know in what? Four months. From I now, thoroughly but... enjoyed last night's game in my. In my re-imaged focus of what the Twins 2018 season is all about, I thoroughly enjoyed what I saw last night. You sound like a generic brand marketing representative. I thoroughly enjoyed what I saw. No, it was fun to watch. Generic phrases about your Twins uh, opinions. That was, and and any time that we can see Fernando pitch and then come in the the next day and hear Abba, it's even better. And drive Kenny crazy. How can this drive you crazy? I honestly... Like, I'm I'm a curmudgeon. I like it. Every single pitch he threw last night, this song was just blasting in my... I woke up this morning. There was something yes. in the air. What about this idea? <laughs> I've got it. Fernando viewing parties 
And as long as he's pitching, you just continue to play we the song. Blessed, we just it just continues Abba. to play on loop, basically. You know, I felt so good. Especially when I got Bobby Wilson behind the plate. I love, uh, I love his. He's like, I, I always appreciate when, when an athlete comes over from, you know, baseball players from the Dominican, from Venezuela, from different countries, parts of the world, and they, and they attempt to speak to the fans in English. And I think even though Fernando is struggling to find some of the right words, I think it's cool that after he dominates and shoves against the St. Louis Cardinals, he gets out there and says, translator, step aside. I got this one right here. I'm going to talk about my catcher. You know, I felt so good, especially when I got Bobby Wilson behind the play. He put some fingers, some good fingers. You know, the guy's bat being like hot. Confident dude. There it is. He's a confident dude. Do I you, like him. Um, the, the thing that impresses me most about this kid through two starts is when Barrios came up, Barrios, good stuff, but everything Barrios did was, was sort of like to dip a toe in. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you're like, dude, you got great stuff. Yes. And then he was, it wasn't that he lacked confidence, but you could tell that, that he was sort of like, yeah, this, this Michael wrong. Watching this guy pitch or talk, the confidence is off the charts, which is great. For sure. But the confidence is, is, is completely there. Two starts in. Yeah, it's uh, and then you combine that with, this is no hyperbole. He has some of the best stuff in the history of Twins pitching. I mean, first of all, he throws 90, he's throwing 97 miles an hour, close to 100 pitches last night. It's got darting movement. He's got off-speed stuff. Uh, so he's already starting on third base when it comes to stuff. He's not like Scott Baker, who throws a 91-mile-an-hour yeah. fastball. Like He's coming in with a Ferrari loaded with stuff, mm-hmm. three different pitches, and uh, and then you add confidence and willingness to just throw it over the plate, and this is what you get. You get scoreless, two scoreless outings to start. This your is what career. good pitching is. Uh, yes, this is what good lights out starting. This is what we have not like. seen for quite some time here. I mean, he is consistently as far as pure stuff emerging into the big leagues. He's in the same category as when when Francisco yeah, Liriano came up. I was when, say that, yeah. when Johan Santana came up. I mean, Johan Santana had one of the more devastating changeups in modern baseball history but with Santana like a twelve took some mile time, hour too. gap. This, this guy has come come up and is set to go. Because Santana came up, he came up and w- was in the bullpen, correct? For his first year or so? He was a train wreck his first because he yeah. was a Rule 5 guy. Yeah. yeah. Francisco and this guy, to me, are similar in the fact that, that you watch them pitch and you're like, wow, I, I'd go pay, I would pay to go see this. Plus you get Abba. You still want to improve offensively. And I think there's things that we can do better offensively, but also defensively to develop a consistency of how we want to play defensively. I think the big thing for our players, uh, particularly the young guys who haven't been in the playoffs before, I think once you get there, it does give you a better understanding of what it's going to take moving forward. So I think the offseason, the work we can do there, and then also as we move forward with draft picks, trades, free agency, we can improve the club that way also. And now we know why the Wolves lacked toughness and intensity. It was the fault of these three staffers who weren't retained, according to a Wolves press release last night. Vince LaGarza, who actually was an assistant who worked very closely, he was a development coach who worked with Carl Anthony Towns very closely. Shooting coach Peter Patton and assistant video coordinator Wes Bond will not be back. Uh, these were the assistants who demanded the Wolves play neglectful defense and shoot long twos 
And now that we've cut the cancer out of the organization, the Wolves can play modern strategic basketball. I'm very excited. Get that Vince Lagarza clone out of here. Yeah. I don't know what these moves mean. Wes Bond, sorry, buddy. I don't know these guys, so I don't know if these moves make sense or not. But it did strike me as humorous at best that that with all the things that transpired with this team, the moves are three people that I had never heard of in my life. These were the three that had to go. Well, is it is it all right? I, I don't, and I'm not gonna. Hey, if if they're making changes to improve the uh, you know the organization and improve the way that they go about blueprinting a game plan, that's fine. But is it the shooting coach's fault that they shoot long twos, or is it just the fact that they have a bunch of players who shoot long twos? You know, yeah. Like if they had JJ Redick on their team, would they fire their shooting coach? Probably not. This feels a little scapegoaty to me. The one that's, that I, I think is, is the most intriguing that uh, Krasinski wrote about is Vince Lagarza, who worked closely with all-star big man Carl Anthony Towns. And in fact, uh, J- Johnny wrote, Towns was unaware of Tibbs' decision to not retain L- Lagarza, league sources told him. All right. If this is playing out... So like, Kat, so Cat really liked working with Vince Lagarza? Yes, okay. yes. And Lagarza, evidently, if you got to games early and saw Cat working out against the big white guy to try and to basically go up and, and work on his post moves, that was Lagarza. They were big buddies. When uh, when Cat got the Rookie of the Year award, he thanked this guy specifically and said he's part of my team. All right, if this is playing out like it reads, and the Timberwolves really just fired a guy that Cat really likes and they didn't tell Cat, uh, there's a disconnect there you don't like. There's a disconnect there that makes no sense. Wouldn't you at least consult a star player, a a star player who is bordering on and will be a superstar player, who you want to keep happy for as long as possible before firing somebody that he confides in and really likes? This is a tough one because... It's hard because I don't know a lot about Vince Lagarza. I mean, we from what you just said in in John Krasinski's story and the fact that Cat thanked him after winning the uh, Rookie of the Year award. Okay, obviously they have a connection. If if this is where I don't I don't know if I trust Tom Thibodeau to make the right decisions on a human level. I don't know if I I don't know if I trust his ability to make tough decisions or personnel changes while. Also keeping the peace, so to speak. Like I don't, I just, I don't think he's a great people person, and I think it's pretty I'm a evident. Person. Why can't you people I'm see a that? Person. Uh, it's pretty evident in the way that things ended in Chicago, and with a lot of the uh, the unrest behind the scenes uh, with the Timberwolves. Like if Tom Thibodeau thought Carl Anthony Towns could take a couple steps forward with a different coach, and he was very good at communicating that message to all parties involved. Okay, I don't know if I like. I'm fine with making changes. Make changes if you think it's going to benefit. The players, if it's going to benefit the organization. But if you're not able to properly communicate, like this is where a disconnect could lie. Like you said, star player wonders, why did you take away a coach that I feel like has really helped me in my development? And if the communication isn't very clear, here's why we're doing it. And also, this guy that I'm going to bring in is going to take you to an even different level. Like that has to be clear with yeah. a star player. The, but star or player, it's the type of thing that could erode a relationship, and then that player could go sign somewhere else. I still think he signs a max contract with the Wolves, well, sure. and he's going to be here for five years. But, it's not going to matter in the in the long run. But, but my but we're we're in an era now where I think when when you have a star player or two, it's probably a good idea to say, "Hey, Cat, we're thinking of of allowing uh, Vince to go because of this," and explain it. Uh, if Cat has to pick up the paper or a press release and be like, they fired my guy, 
it's not a good start here. That's And this goes back to what you said, which is if you trusted Tibbs as a people person, you might say, okay, it's probably going to be fine. But, and, and there's a lot of players, I don't care. If you f- fire their best friend or trade them, I don't care. But when it comes to the Wolves, I identify Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler as guys that I, I want to keep as happy as possible. And firing their friends and, and or people who have helped them develop, especially those people, seems to me, unless you tell them, to be a very counterproductive move. On, on the shooting coach, Peter Patton is the shooting coach. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about the way Peter Patton works with players. I do know that Andrew Wiggins and Tyus Jones, if this team is going to compete at the highest levels of the Western Conference the next couple of years, Andrew Wiggins and Tyus Jones have to be able to knock down threes at a high clip. Like Those guys have to be 40% three-point shooters. Unless you go out and sign, if you if you shake up the rest of your roster and you bring in three rotational guys that aren't currently on your team and those guys shoot threes and play defense, but but based on the way the roster is made up right now and the fact that the Wolves made the fewest number of threes of any team in the NBA, among guys on the roster who stand the most, who aren't 30-year-old veterans, right, who can maybe still add layers to their game, Wiggins and Tyus need to go from like 32 34% from downtown to 40%. And if they feel like... There's a better shooting coach out there, someone who can connect with those guys. I'm fine with that. But um, this team, and we can talk more about this throughout the show, like this team, when you start to look at the remaining teams in the playoffs and the teams likely to play in the conference finals and some of the gaps, it's great. They won 47 games. They went to the playoffs. But there's this Grand Canyon in certain areas between them and these other teams. Both our winter teams have that, that, that problem. If you're watching what's going on in the hockey or basketball playoffs right now and you're thinking to yourself, okay, if I take the Wolves and put them on the court or the, the Wild and, and put them on the ice with, with these teams in this predicament, in these playoffs, how, how do they fare? I think it's pretty safe to say not well. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say in some cases it feels like there are, are some games that I, I've seen the Wolves or, or Wild play. Their game itself feels like it would be feels like it is a different league. It feels like, yeah, it's the same sport, but it's probably, if it's a league below. Yeah, we can get back into that later on in the show here. I mean, we do have like four hours to explore the space on this. There's That's more what's great about this ball. show. A lot, yes. lot, lot of time. We're going to get Matthew Collar in to hang out the rest of the hour. We've got some Vikings and NFL things to get to, too. A nostalgic pecking order at 10 o'clock. Uh, 11 o'clock, schedule pending. There's a great story at SI.com that goes over the firing of Stan Van Gundy and sort of what it means for organizations in the NBA, including the Timberwolves, that uh, have been operating with this one man taking over two jobs, coach and president of basketball ops. We'll dive into that later in the show. It's a Jason Stark day. We'll talk to our friend Chris Long. What it's like to be a sports fan when your team breaks through a huge sticking point and plateau. You have chest pains, I think, is what he said. Did he say he had chest pains? Yes, he said he was close to to what at least. He should be careful. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we'll do all that, Mackie and Judd. You think you like appetizers? Tom Thibodeau doesn't just like appetizers. He f***ing loves them. We're looking to add wings. That's right. Yeah. Chris Lindahl. I think he likes wings, too. But you know what he likes more than anything? Chris Lindahl. Helping you get over your cellophobia. Helping you and your family sell your home for top dollar. And one of the biggest problems right now is cellophobia, which is something 
I have suffered from in the past too when you got you got a big time seller's market and homes are selling so fast, people are thinking, rightfully so, if I sell my house in like three days or five days, where am I going to live after my house is sold? Am I going to be able to time it upright so that I find something? We're not settling for something less than what we want or having to move into a transitional place or back to the parents, whatever it may be. Well, the Chris Lindahl team is tapping into artificial intelligence to help sellers find homes to buy that aren't listed on the MLS. The truth is, there's thousands more homes available than you think when you just go online the standard way. The Chris Lindahl team has an exclusive way to tap into this huge market. And all you have to do is go to chrislindahl.com, that's Chris with a K, or call 763-401-SOLD. That's why they're America's number one REMAX results team. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. And this portion of Mackie and Judd is sponsored by Menards. It's rookie minicap. It's rookie minicap. It's rookie minicap. Vikings practice. <laughs> Matthew Collins. Best, best time of year. We get back on the field with the rookies. So our, shorts and shells. Oh, yeah. So our friend Fenske brought up a great idea that we should mock draft other things. Like not... Football necessarily, yeah. although 2019 Todd McShay put out his way too early. Oh, I think that we weren't uh, all over that the minute that, it came out. Well, well, that, know that's they never gone wrong for him. You know, yesterday on the ride <laughs> yeah, with Mitch Royce, Ryder turned into a great cowboy. That's true. 24th overall pick. Yeah, from it was, last uh, year. it's been fantastic so uh, far. The ride with Royce yesterday, I believe uh, they stole our mock intro and then did like a mock of. What was it? Like a mock of quarterback op- openings or something? It was definitely like a mock of a mock. Oh, yeah. oh no. E- ESPN, because uh, Pat tweeted this on Monday, ESPN came out with a mock of quarterback situations as they currently are, um, when the new guys will take over, and then gave, like I think, exact weeks mm. for it. Do you have it there, Dave? I don't have that, but I, I'm sure you guys saw over the weekend a tweet that was sent to all of us. This is from Patrick? The Walter Football 2020 (laughs) mock. Wait, what? (laughs) I want a mock! Mock! Yes! I want you mock! Mock! 2020? Oh, Wally. Wally football here. Wally football, he always comes through with a good mock. He's playing three-dimensional mock chess. Yeah. So I want to know, like, where does he have, who's drafting number one overall in two years? Is it still the Browns? Overall pick goes to... The New Orleans Saints. <laughs> so, so Drew Brees' last year, this year, yeah, and then they train wreck without him in 2019. Yes. Okay. And they're picking the successor. Quarterback Georgia, Jake Fromm, goes number one overall. Collar endorses that pick. He's how like, about, yeah. How about this? No, I, I do know Jake Fromm. <laughs> They, well, he played in the national championship game. He was very good. Yeah, so did number two. For half of it. Quarterback Alabama Tua Tagovailoa goes to the New England Patriots. Wow. Nice work on that name here. Yes. I feel like Wally football is just trolling all of us right now. It's yeah. very possible because you got the Broncos at three, Tampa at four, and number five, your Minnesota Vikings. That's wow. right. The fifth overall pick. We're going downhill that fast. He basically the NFL is going to flip on its head within two years. The purple's right. really going down quickly. Yeah. Offensive tackle, Stanford, Walker Little. I want a mock. Mock. No. I want to mock. Mock. No. 
I disagree what? with that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Elaborate. I'm not taking a tackle named Little. Nope. Yeah, but he, he's, I mean, if Walker Little's available, you don't walk, you run to get that one. So uh, I want a mock. <laughs> Can you really trust an offensive tackle with two last names, too, like that? Not sure. Does it work for two last names or is it just two first names of people you can't trust? I think both, quite frankly. Mm. You got to be careful with both. Yeah, I agree. If, if you're Jake Fromm, you're missing out on a huge sponsorship opportunity by not adding a third name there, right? State Farm? Um, also, <laughs> Jake uh, Fromm, State Farm. Wait, what college is he from again? I want a mock! <laughs> and that concludes today's programming on 1500 ESPN. Stop this. <laughs> now, here's your national anthem. Talk about rookie minicamp. Uh, what is happening at rookie minicamp? Just a bunch of rookies and shorts and shells and learning playbooks and things like that. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Um, they right. It's in shorts, and there is only one day of media availability. So if you tell me that you can actually figure something out from that, then you are a football genius. In fact, even Mike Zimmer said, honestly, guys, like don't grade anything from this. He said he doesn't really grade anything from this. He's also still drunk from the Kenny Chesney concert <laughs> on Saturday night at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, Wish we could had be, that sound. Could be. Don't, don't be an instant evaluator is the way he put it. There was really only <laughs> one thing that I took away. Yeah. It was just that the, the fifth round tight end, and this is, you know, no, rookie minicamp. He's got good hands. Like, he caught everything that came his way, made a couple of really nice catches, and then when we talked to him, which is the most important part for us, uh, I got the sense that he's a really bright guy, which is a big switch from the guy that they drafted in the late rounds last year, Bucky Hodges. So whoa, I've, I've gotten that. I won't have you denigrate Bucky Hodges <laughs> on this show. I, I've gotten that tweet a few times of like, oh, it's just another Bucky Hodges where we hype him. I'm like, well, if A, I never hyped him. B, he came across as a guy who maybe wasn't up to snuff with the football IQ, where Tyler Conklin seemed to have a really good sense for where he might fit in and where the league is going with tight ends. And I would much prefer a guy who runs a 4.8 and has great hands and is smart than a guy who runs a 4.6 and is not as bright, I would say. Who were the quarterbacks this thing? Oh, don't ask Just some that. slappies they brought in? Yeah, slappies. From, I mean, like, St. Thomas the, and yeah, St. John's uh, yeah, and more or U less. of M or something? So these are, these are, are these guys all on the offseason roster, or do they bring in rookies who aren't even on the night, like yes. the 90-man roster? They're tryout guys, and that's yeah. some, some of the quarterbacks are just tryout guys. There was a guy, Peter Pujols or something like that. And it was oh, like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the shadow of his older brother, uh, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. yeah, but it wasn't spelled the same way, but they're distantly related. How many different ways um, are there to spell Pujols? I think it was with an A. <laughs> Pool Haas. I didn't bother to learn. The guy's a tryout quarterback. He's trying to throw in the wind. It's all flopping around. My favorite story, catch it. I, I think from, from the, the entire thing, it might have been a strip story basically saying that Zim didn't yell. That he didn't yell because, and he's like, well, I'm trying to teach here. But but the takeaway was, well, he wasn't screaming and bellowing, so it must not have been too bad. Well, like, is there really, like, you're bringing no. a bunch of rookies who don't know your playbook. But that's because you, know, you don't know what they don't know what Screaming at them doesn't yeah. really work, I would you think. You idiots. But the, the real takeaways are Brian O'Neill is not anywhere close right now to having the body of a starting NFL left tackle. Like, having seen starting NFL left tackles within five or ten feet of me, Riley Reef, Mike Remmers, whoever else, Matt Khalil last year, Andre Smith, and those guys weren't great, but they're NFL bodies. 
This guy needs to pack it on. Well, he was a tight end huh. as recently as like three years ago, right? right? Yep, yep. And he was at 297 at the uh, NFL Combine, which is one of the... He would be one of the, if not the lightest tackle in the NFL at 297. And he mentioned 310. I'm like, man, are you going to put on almost 15 pounds over the next few months? That seems excessive he's and com- probably not good for you. He's just a project, though, right? I he mean, he, he might be good... But but I don't think that the team has a, an assumption here that, that he's going to step in in 2018. I think that they're probably th- thinking they're going to develop him, and at the earliest he's going to, if he can start, it's going to be 2019. Well, but here's the thing: he because he's a second round draft pick or third, second, 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 they, they, second, second round pick, pick. They have to they have to keep him on the 53 man roster. So it's not like they can just sneak him onto the practice squad. So if you're on the 53-man roster, one of the, let's say, eight, maybe nine offensive linemen, you're going to play at some point. This He's is... going to play in an NFL game this year with injuries. Judge just did the cross. They did the sign of the cross. Right? So what you hope for with him is that you could use him in some situations as like a sixth offensive lineman. And, you know, they do that at the goal line. But you could get really creative, especially with a guy who has a slight threat of being able to catch the ball and scored some touchdowns at Pitt. You could bring him in in those running situations. They used Aviante Collins for that late in the season last year, where every once in a while, if they were really running it down a team's throat, here would come the sixth offensive lineman. The Oakland Raiders have done that before. It's just some extra wrinkles of creativity. But as far as stepping right in right now, he would have to go a long way with the body first, and then from what you see on tape, the technique would also have to come a long way. The thing you'd be concerned about is going full T.J. Clemmings, a guy who's a freak athlete who had played a different position before and came in and lost his confidence so fast. Now, these are two different people. Brian O'Neill might not be like T.J. Clemmings as a person because I think that that's where Clemmings really got hurt. It wasn't so much that he didn't have talent. Yep. I think he did. Yep. I, I think that he had no confidence in himself, and he got crushed really easily. So if one thing went wrong for him early in a game, the whole rest of the game was shot. I don't get that impression from Brian O'Neill, but you never really know until you get punched in the mouth. Clemmings, though, also became a victim of malpractice in the sense that at right tackle, he sort of struggled, but he got by. He wasn't great, but he got by. But then when, when you... The next year, say, okay, we've got trouble at left tackle, which is a different world, and and switch him there. That was malpractice. I mean, if you, the lesson that you hopefully learned is this guy is going to be left at right tackle. He's going to be trained there and eventually play there because there is a big difference between saying, okay, you know what, you, you got by on the right side, now go play the left side. That's that's where with Clemmings they went completely sideways. Yeah, I think that's true, and just having him play at all when he was such a project, and that's the concern you would have with Brian O'Neill is if you're going to throw him right in there, and he has these issues with technique, and he gets bull rushed and shoved back into the quarterback, but he was getting bull rushed in college and just pushed right back. I mean, imagine how much stronger the guys are in the NFL and what they're going to do to him, and they'll know. They're going to know his tape. They're going to know his big weaknesses, his strength. And they're going to take advantage of that. And you don't want to have him in that situation right away. Uh, I was making fun of some tweeters who had said that I was being negative by pointing this out. But it's something that the team has talked about. It's something that he talked about. Having to get stronger in order to be able to play 
at this point in his career. So I look at him very much as a guy that you want to get his feet wet in the NFL, and he has the potential to be a long-term left tackle, that he has that sort of athleticism and talent, which is very rare. I mean, you, you look at this draft. How many guys were drafted who have the talent to be a left tackle? I, I see one. The McGlinchey guy from San Francisco. He's the only guy. I think Colton Miller's probably a right tackle. And he has a long way to go if he was going to be on the left side. So O'Neal, the fact that he has that ceiling is really great for the Vikings to have. It's just you take a big risk if you try to force him to play right away. And and uh, so Riley Reef, how many years of actual contract in terms of like guaranteed money? What is he, 28, 29, somewhere yeah. in there? Is it two um, years left? I believe it is another two or three. Okay. Uh, his contract was different than Remmers. They signed on the same day, so they got lumped together. But Remmers, after this year, they could move on from him, which is an argument to play him at right guard, put Rashad Hill at right tackle, see how that works out for you. And maybe you have Rashad Hill as your long-term right tackle, or maybe he's kind of a placeholder for O'Neal to come in the next year. Yeah. Let's uh let's switch gears and talk some bloodlines when we come back. You had a really interesting interview for 1500ESPN.com that we can dive into here next. Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, Saturday Sports Talk. It's Mackie and Judd. Did you? Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Let's just say that it could cause Molly to start smoking. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Come on! Football! Football. Can I hit that quarterback in the face? Uh, I want to do it. Vikings sent this tweet out yesterday. We got Matthew Collar hanging out with us here. Uh, that they have officially signed wide receiver Chad Beebe along with other players following last weekend's rookie minicamp. Chad Beebe, the son of, and you you are from Buffalo, Matthew Collar, so mm-hmm. you remember the, the Don Beebe uh, glory days. He also played in Green Bay for a minute there, too, in like the late 90s, but... Don Beebe's son, Chad Beebe, who, by the way, is like five foot nine, 175 or 185 pounds, yep. and only caught 28 passes in his senior year, which was his best season at Northern Illinois. So uh, it's kind of kind of cool to have a random like extension of a player we all remember growing up. But is Chad Beebe an actual prospect, or what's the what's the deal with his presence on the roster? You did a story, by the way, for 1500ESPN.com that people should read. I know, and it's at the center of our website, so I don't want to say no (laughs) to to your question. It would be uh, really amazing if he somehow made it with a tryout. What Don Beebe told me yesterday was that the reason they picked the Vikings is because the Vikings didn't draft a wide receiver and that there could be some openings here. There could be a punt return situation where, you know, Mike Hughes might win that job or might not. Marcus Sherrills didn't have a great year last year returning punts, and this is something that Chad Beebe did in college, that he's a quick sort of slot receiver style guy, and there might be an opening there. I mean, They had to have called the Patriots first, right? <laughs> Just send a headshot in. <laughs> And yeah. call this, your guy. Yeah. this is your guy. This is your guy. Fits the fits the prototype. He does. Yeah, Chris. Now that was the thing. I I didn't laugh out loud, but inside I did when Don Beebe was like, you know, my kid's more like a Wes Welker type, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, it, I mean, because because of the whole like little white wide receiver. Sure, like, Don. Bye. Yeah. Just right. hang up. On yeah, him. yeah. 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 <laughs> See you later, Don. No, but I mean, as far as a player though, that it wouldn't be the first time that somebody showed up for a tryout and ends up making the team and having a career, and Adam Thielen is right here. There's a guy like Danny Amendola, too, and 
you know, uh, all sorts of other players who have been undrafted or late picks who are wide receivers or guys that weren't that impressive in college but yes. do some good things and end up developing quickly. And it would mean being really good on special teams and showing something unique that he could do that other people can't do. My guess would be competing for a a practice squad spot, which would be a a really big win. I mean, if you come in on a tryout and you win a practice squad position, but you know who opened the door for him here is Caleb Jones because Caleb Jones failed a PED test. And to me, that should be the end of you. If you're a guy who's a fringe guy or someone who like Kentrell brothers who barely played and you get suspended. And both like, have been now, right? Yeah, they, yeah they're both suspended yeah. for four games. It's like, okay, well, see ya, right? Like, don't even bother showing up because you're cut. And uh, so Caleb Jones was my guy to kind of, like, be on the fringe and potentially win that last spot. I see one spot being open here for a bunch of different wide receivers to compete, but there is no, with Caleb Jones kind of potentially out of the picture here, there's no one that I say, oh, yeah, this guy's definitely got that locked down, and that's why Chad Beebe decided to come to the Vikings. When it comes to Mike Hughes, what's the realistic timetable if if this is all going to come off as the grand plan, which is probably for the next couple of years, uh, Rhodes at one corner, Wayne's at another outside corner, and Hughes, who in college didn't play much inside, but him eventually taking that job. What's the realistic expectation there? Because that is a that's a completely different spot. It's actually a very tough spot, and and we, we've seen guys get force fed in, in, into that spot before, and it doesn't work. So the Vikings are pretty smart when it comes to this. Now, what's the expectation for how quickly he could assimilate and get into that uh, inside job in the nickel? The way that I look at the nickel corner spot is it's like an intellectual position where the other two are a little more physical. Not that every position isn't, but nickel is a lot of reading routes, where things are going, knowing where to fit in the run game, much more than being on the outside. And I don't have a sense yet just hearing Mike Hughes talk once in front of a very windy podium. So I caught like half of what he said. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a really good... What's that again, Mike? Uh, and let me tell you something right now. <laughs> it was like um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when like the storm's coming in. And it's like, oh, there's bumbles outside. It was... Um, it's exact, it was, that's, ex- it, that's the exact analogy I was thinking watching yeah, at Vikings.com it, yesterday. It was really windy. Um, no, I did hear what he said but i'm it's hard to get a sense just yet of like is this a guy who's going to pick up on those things quickly and if he does then he can play that spot because terrence newman is 40 and you shouldn't trust or rely on him to be the nickel corner full-time like he basically was last year and i just don't think that mckenzie alexander has shown me anything to believe that he's more than a rotational corner you know what this is apples to oranges but I think I personally and a lot of us underestimated when Torrey Hunter retired from the Twins and the Twins had that pop-up year, whatever it was, like three years ago. And then, and Torrey, you know, he was very much aging in the outfield, but put together this 20 home run season and, and kind of had a surge at the plate. But uh, when he left, you thought, well, the Twins have Kepler's coming up and Buxton's coming up and they just, there's just, it's it's a good time for Tory to go off, and now the leadership can be handed over to somebody else, Brian Dozier, or I think Trevor Plouffe was still on the roster at that point. And then they had a disastrous 100 loss season, and it was very obvious that they still needed some presence, a dynamic leadership presence in that clubhouse. Uh, not to say that that's the sole reason why they lost 100, but 
Terrence Newman, I don't care if he doesn't play a snap for the Vikings this yep, year. I, agree. I think that's a really underrated guy to bring back. Just to, literally just to have his presence in the locker room for the entirety of the season. As soon as they drafted Mike Hughes, I wrote they're going to re-sign Terrence Newman. I mean, it's like there's no question that Zimmer is bringing back his guy for one last swing at working with a young rookie corner. And my guess is that Hughes will have a better attitude about this than Mackenzie Alexander did, uh, which is still like an unexplainable thing. Like, how do you not listen to Terrence Newman after he's worked with these two other guys, especially Rhodes, who's making $40 million guaranteed? Like, wouldn't you just have that presence of mind to see what's going on there? And But I think Hughes probably does have that sense. And that might help him adapt pretty quickly to this. Because what Terrence Newman does is he teaches these players how to learn football. Like how to uh, watch tape. How to work extra. He helps expedite the learning curve, essentially, right? He sets the standard for them of, okay, this is how it's done in the NFL. Yeah. Efficiency. You you think that Tuesday is your day off, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. We're coming in here ourselves. You think that you're done and Friday at this time, you're not because we're, we're, he holds extra sessions Mm -hmm. during the week and on off days that he runs. And my imagine is, uh, I imagine he'll continue to do that. And that helps immensely with these guys, especially when it's coming from someone with so much credibility that's been in the league this long. They look at him like fans would look at a LeBron James. They look at him and go, this guy is like a freak. This guy makes no sense. That's what Eric Hendricks told me that last year. We look at him like a, like you look at LeBron James. Like it makes no sense how this guy could be 40 years old. He's a freak. He's a, he's a god for being able to do this. That's how they look at him. And that credibility, you don't get that from just, hey, I'm Jerry Gray, your defensive back coach. I played a long time ago. It's not the same level. And of I was really good, so yeah, right, yeah. This, but but this is where where it gets where young players being headstrong gets interesting and can sometimes be dicey. Alexander, if you go back and read the stories, because I think he's a smart kid. He is, yep. and so no question. And so when when he came in, there was an element of him being a smart kid and headstrong that that you're like, well, this is going to work. But there also comes a point where where he then said to himself, well, I'm going to do what, what I do best. Or and I recall a story his first year where Zimmer had given him specific instructions and he basically disobeyed him and did his own thing defensively. And that's where that's where you run into your problem, because I don't you don't want dumb people and you don't want people that don't think for themselves. But there is a line that can be crossed early on where you say to yourself, I know best. And you're like, dude, you don't know best right now. It, you might you might eventually, but not right now. It never stops amazing me in this sport how many things have to align with you as a person to be actually good at this, to stick around at this. The, not just the intelligence, but the self-awareness, the ability to read the room, to go along with all the physical skills, too. I'm not sure that Mackenzie Alexander has all the physical skills to do it. At the Combine, he wasn't a guy that tested particularly well. And if you look at the percentage of guys with his athletic profile who make it, it's not very high. So what you would have had to have is a really great mentality, and he is very intelligent. I know that for sure, but at the same time, if you're headstrong, if you're not a good learner, which is a funny thing, but it's true. Like Most of your time as an NFL player is spent learning the game, not playing the game. Right. You're the like, you're, you're, in fact, you're barely playing the game. Like, right. There's only 16 of them and then a few preseason games. You spend the whole rest of the time just getting ready, and everybody works. Everybody climbs sandy mountains or whatever or lifts tractor-trailer truck 
tires. Like everybody does that. So nobody is impressed. I, I found this out that no one's impressed by, oh yeah, he works hard on his body. They're all no. like, ah, yeah. And it's when you watch Terrence Newman read an offense, like that impresses guys. I think it's, it, it's, it's such a tough age too. Cause we're talking about dudes who are coming into the NFL between 21 and 23 mm-hmm. and, and they're, their peak prime years are like a few years after that. And it's a very short window to get that mental side of it. I mean, think about any of us in non-sports, uh, non-athletic fields. And like, did you really understand when you were 22 or 24 years old, the amount of preparation and mental work just to, to any job, if you want to succeed in any career, let alone one where there are 250 mm-hmm. pound think, machines running around trying to decapitate th- you all the time. I think the question though is, did, did you ha- have the self-awareness to, to shut up and, and absorb that? That's the key thing to me. Yeah. And at 22, I, I mean at 22, cause you're, you're going to be cocky, but if you can at least say, Hey, you know what? This guy is really, really smart. And and if I follow this guy's lead, it's going to help me a lot. That's the difference, I think, between success and and having the talent but not fulfilling it sometimes. And, and there's really no margin for error or forgiveness in the NFL either. Like, McKenzie's a second-round pick, so I think he went into last year feeling very entitled. Even though he had changed his attitude a bit, I think he thought, okay, I changed my attitude, now give me what I want. And they And Mike Zimmer said, okay, go earn it. Play that nickel corner spot. And he was awful in the preseason. And he took, in the, I think it was the fourth game, he took a really terrible penalty where he kind of acted like a child out there. And Zimmer was like, no, I'm just going to throw back in the 40-year-old guy or 39-year-old guy and we'll go win with him instead of you because you won't act professionally. And then now he mixed in at times 30% of snaps and he wasn't that bad. Pro Football Focus graded him very poorly. The throws against him were not that successful, but if you look at him, it, the quarterback rating against can get really skewed on a handful of snaps. Kirk Cousins <laughs> threw the ball right to him. And like They didn't do anything special and jump in front of a ball and get a pick. And when you look back at that, that draft pick, he wasn't a guy that made big plays really in college. He was a guy whose mentality they loved, whose toughness they loved, but that also ends up being a double-edged sword because part of his mentality and his toughness has, has hurt him now at this level because he wouldn't let himself learn in that first year, and now he's way behind. So they said, look, we don't have time for you. Yeah. So we're going to draft this other corner, and Hughes is an extremely talented player. Talking Vikings with Collar, TCL Broadcast Studio, Mackie and Judd. Please listen carefully. Mackie and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. On 1500 ESPN. Minnesota United is in Los Angeles to take on LAFC tomorrow. That's right. They'll do it on Wednesday. Tune in at 8.30 for the pre-match show with Brian Pyatt, followed by kickoff at 9 with Dan Terhar. All the action all season long from Minnesota United can be heard right here on 1500 ESPN. Tag on the right wing to Crosby. A poke check away, and now the counter. Here come the Caps. Kuznetsov gets loose. Evgeny coming down the middle. A shot, and it comes in over. He scores! He scores! Evgeny Kuznetsov wins it for Washington! It's off to the third round. The Demons have been exercised. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Pittsburgh. We're going to Tampa Bay. The Capitals have done it.
Mackie and Judd back in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Collar adjoining. All right, boys, I've got one concern. So the Washington Capitals, for the first time since 1998, have made the Eastern Conference Finals. And in 98, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals and I think got swept out by Detroit. Here's my fear, though. There's only the goalie. Yeah, what if Washington, what if this happens? They win two more rounds and we're left holding the most pathetic, sad sports town. I think mantle. Honestly, I think we, I think we crave that. I think we want that. <laughs> do you really bring it on, Dave? Dave shaking his oh, head. Oh hell yeah, we do you want, want something. Do, bring do you want the mantle? If we can't have nice things, give me bad Let, things. I, I want things. I'd rather us be the best at the worst <laughs> mm-hmm. than like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Let's, okay. let's own it. Go Capitals. I don't know if I agree with you guys, but that's fine. Do you want to be Cincinnati, Judd? Just meh. No one really thinks about you. No, you want to be you want to be Cleveland, I just where want, everyone pities yeah. you. No, you know what I really want. I just want the Wild to be good. That's all I want. And no, it's so you far. You want the North Stars to be good. And Matthew, it's so far from happening. You know what? I'm too bad. That can't come. That can't happen. I just want the Wild to be competitive. And I watch these playoffs, and I don't see a team that's anywhere close to these teams. <laughs> oh well, the Western Conference. My gosh, no. I mean, the series between Winnipeg and Nashville has been what I think the Stanley Cup should look like. That the, these two teams have been so close o- over, over the six games. Yeah, I know. The, the, how this is set up is just ridiculous. To have this series going on the second round. And good for Vegas. They did their job. They beat, to me, one of the worst teams in the playoffs, in the San Jose Sharks. And they've just had this easy ride to get here, whereas whichever team g- is facing them will have played the best team in the NHL. I mean, these are the two best records right there going against each other in round two. Like, that should never, ever happen. But the series has lived up to the hype. I mean, I thought that, you know, Washington kind of got a good draw with Pittsburgh. Their goalie wasn't playing as well as in the past. They've had how many extra games over the past few years that have worn down on them. And, you know, they're a team that lost some players, too, as any good team does that is pressed up against the salary cap. So Washington kind of got a good break there. But uh, the series that I've been watching the closest is Predators-Jets. And if you're asking me if the Wild are anywhere close, the answer is obviously no. I mean, the Jets blew the doors off of the Wild as much as anybody beat anybody in the first round. And the and Nashville would have done the same thing. Do you think there's any obvious moves for the Wild to make? I mean... Craig Leopold is on the record saying, hey, this isn't a rebuild. We, we're, we're still pushing forward here, but way easier said than done when you got a salary cap and a bunch of 34-year-olds with no move clauses. The, there is no easy answer, no. I mean, they can hope that they'll be... What you're going to hear probably is like, hey, you know, Vegas didn't have Sidney Crosby, and they got to the conference finals. Like, yeah, that's a little bit of a different, unique situation there, and maybe some players that were a lot better than their previous teams thought they were, but I still don't think they're getting past one of those better teams. I think they got really good draws in the first and second round. They got great goaltending, for one, for a guy that all of a sudden now Marc-Andre Fleury in the second half of his career has become a great playoff goalie all of a sudden. Now, I mean, he was really good actually last year before they turned back to Matt Murray, and then he's been out of his Gord in this series and and the first one, so we'll see if that holds up. But I, I mean, when you're comparing it to the teams that I think will be either the Jets or Predators in the Stanley Cup Final, I don't know how you just make a move or two and then all of a sudden you're on their level. But you never know with NHL GMs. Somebody traded PK Subban. 
Somebody traded Taylor Hall. Somebody traded Tyler Sagan. How about Forsberg? And the Capitals and, traded and, Forsberg. And Philip Forsberg. And, and How those... can GMs be this incompetent? Well, the funny thing about like the it Phil... doesn't make any sense. The thing about the Philip Forsberg trade is that the guy who built Vegas is the one who traded Philip Forsberg. But that's a little different because he was a prospect at the time. So you might have said, okay, he's the middle of the first round pick. Yeah, we didn't know he was going to be like this good. We just figured he might be pretty good, and we were willing to trade him in a win-now situation. You trade Taylor Hall, who's got six or seven years of being an elite player. Shirelli's a complete idiot Then you're you're brain dead if you do that. And if you you trade P.K. Zuban, are you out of your mind? I mean, with P.K. Subban, it was the most absurd situation where the team fell apart because of the goalie getting hurt, and then everybody blamed Subban. And then, of course, he lands in the perfect place for him in Nashville with a team that was ready to win and a great situation, and then, you know, here we go with him. But those trades are out there. So maybe you can just trick a dumb GM into trading you something for Charlie Coyle. I mean, that's like what your strategy is this offseason. It should be. The guy that you should be looking to trade is Jonas Brodeen. Because he had a pretty good season last year, really good season two years ago, and he's just not that valuable. It's like trading a running back. Like, sure, you like your running back. You like your stay-at-home defenseman. But what do they really mean to winning? Not anywhere close to what some GMs think. You already have Suter and Dumba. Like you're, so it's not like you're, you're, you're not super depleted in if, that department, right? If, if you don't shop Eric Stahl, something's wrong. At that age, coming off a 40-goal season... If you can get a team to bite that thinks that it's one center away, you're going to get a good return. I'm conflicted about that because I think that teams should look at him and say, okay, it's unlikely that he scores this much again. But also if the Wild are looking at this season as this is still in our window to be a great team, yeah. you're not going to ship off Eric Stahl, who scored 40 goals. The new, the new GM might want to convince Craig that the window might not be as wide open as Craig thinks the window is. I think you That's to, the issue. I think you have to look at players. This is where it goes like counterintuitive. You have to look at players who actually played well last year and try to trade them. Of course. And, and then, you know, fans, of course, I understand, go, wait like a minute. Like Jason Zucker would you, be one of those right. players. You want to yeah. trade Zucker after he scored 33 goals? Yes, I do. Because <laughs> in the playoffs, he has four goals in 31 career playoff games. Plus, and, you're not going to get something of substance unless you give up something that's a, at least perceived substance, right. right? And when you have to look at your roster by playoffs are a different form of hockey. It's just a different game when you get to the playoffs because it's mostly five-on-five play, and guys with the speed a lot of times can get shut down, especially if they're one-dimensional players, and that's what's happened to Zucker, and that's what's happened to Granlund. So you have to look around and say, okay, well, are these guys really the ones that are pushing me toward winning in the postseason? And and here's the thing. If you take a big swing and you miss, and you miss the playoffs – then, okay, well, you're getting a top draft pick to kind of start over with again. So you might as well take that big swing and see what happens. And if you're a first-year GM, you can do that. For sure. Matthew Collar, find him on Saturday morning sports talk, 10 o'clock with Judd, Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. Hey, we got a nostalgic pecking order when we come back here with uh, a lot of nostalgic audio. This is going to be a lot of memories flooding back here.